everybody. Welcome back to the Art of Dating podcast. This is episode 15. I am your host, Kayla, and um, today we have Ryan and Angie talking about the final three parts of finances. Uh, when you're in a relationship with someone or just newly married, uh, today we've got some really good stuff for you. You definitely don't want to miss this episode. So I'll just uh, turn it right over to, to Ryan and Angie. What do you guys What do you guys have for us today? Hello, friends, and welcome back to The Art of Dating with Ryan Agate and, and tonight with Angie Agate once again. So happy to have Angie here with me. So I'm not doing this alone. And really, we actually created this lesson together about five years ago, and we've been using it for the dating and courtship class at the Institute. So I'm sure you'll have lots to say tonight, right, Angie? Absolutely. Okay. This is our... She always has so much to say. That's why I love her. Uh, this is our third attempt, actually. Uh, the first attempt, I was doing it by myself and Angie came in. The second attempt, our cuckoo clock went off and, and it goes for like 30 seconds. So this is our third attempt at this starting. Um, we, we've had some questions about, uh, this is episode 15, building a marriage and a family that are financially secure, part two, right? So we're talking about, let's talk about finances, part two. And we've had a couple of, I'm not sure how well episode one went, and you know the story I'm going to tell here. I was walking through the Institute the day after we released it, and a student said, Brother Eggett, I just listened to your episode about finances. I'm like, great, what'd you think? He said, I'm not sure it did me any good because I bought a brand new car that night, <laughs> right after listening to the episode. Uh, he's still single. I'm not saying he's still single because he bought a brand new car, but, but uh, so at least he didn't have to come home to a mad wife, right, when he brought home a brand new red sports car, which he actually bought, so very fun. Uh, one of the questions that we've had since people uh, have been listening to this last episode was, okay, you, you say in part one, have the same financial goals. What does it actually mean to have the same financial goals? I, I've been thinking about that, Angie, and you can pipe in as you like. For me, it's really two things. First, how are you going to make your money? Um, you know, and, and that's something, if you're considering marriage or if you're already married and you're listening to this and saying, we want to improve right, our relationship financially, I think there are a couple of questions you need to ask, and maybe you can add to this, Ange. But I, I think the first question that you need to say is, how are we going to make the money in terms of who's going to make the money? And, you know, and I would say if you, if you can't come to terms on that one, if you can't come to some agreement, that's one of those red flags where you should say, okay, we ought to reconsider this impending marriage or this relationship. Because you can imagine, so for us, we kind of came at it the same, right? We're some products of the 80s. And our thought was uh, that I would make the money and you would be home with the children that we had. I can imagine, though, had I been dating somebody that was saying, I want to uh, have, you know, I want to have my own job and I want you to stay home, that would have been something we would have had to try to agree on. Uh, if we were going to continue to pursue that relationship or if we were going to be a dual income family. I think the same thing is true if if you had said, I want to be a dual income family and I was coming at it saying, well, I, I want to be the worker and I want you to stay home, th th that's something that would be a point of contention throughout your whole marriage, right? Absolutely. And we can even see some of this changing as we get older. That, you know, our thoughts were, oh, we'll, we'll, we'll always be a single income family. Now we're you know, Brigham, our son, is about to leave on a mission that's going to leave only one child at home, and he'll be gone in three years, and maybe then we may want to reconsider things, right, and say, okay, let's let's continue to look at this relationship. And so I think these are things that you can continue to talk about, but the most important thing is that you're on the same page. 
I would say that more important whether it's a one thing, a one income or two come income, that it's a, are we coming at it from the same viewpoint with the same reasoning? You know, have we talked through why we want it to be one, why we want it to be two, and so who's going to make the money and how are they going to make it? That's something that you ought to, you ought to get in line right up front. The second thing that I've been thinking about, and we've had people reach out to us to talk about, is how are you going to spend your money? And we talked about this a little bit in part one, but this is really the most significant thing for us that was for us. And you know, when people say, how do you never fight about money? It's because these two points we really agreed on. And maybe even more, I think you know, it's a, it's a very, very solid, but a very basic foundation when you say, who's going to make the money? You could have that conversation in a couple of days, right? How you're going to spend it is something that develops over a lifetime, but it has to have some foundation. So let me ask you this question, Ange. I'll put you on the spot here because I know you love it. What, uh, when we were talking about this, how are we going to spend our money? What, what would you say were our priorities? Where were we coming from in terms of how do we want to spend it? I think we were coming at, at, into it as a couple. Like, obviously, we need a home and we need to take care of our family. We want to take care of our church obligations like tithing. So I think maybe writing things down also helps create a clear path that you want to follow. Yeah, and I, I said a little bit in, thanks, Ange, I said a little bit in episode one how the first night we talked about this, we were so far off base from each other. So we were so different that, you know, we kind of broke up that night, even though we were already engaged. We kind of were like, wow, we're not sure this is going to work. And we had to come back and really talk about it and say, you know, have I thought, you know, some of our ideas we had been had held over since the seventh grade, right? When you were writing in your little, you know, who I went to marry book, and I was thinking of my life, you know, when I got married, and you go, well, maybe now we've come a little bit more into reality, into this position. Maybe we need to talk a little bit more. I remember you specifically saying, I want to spend our money in ways that will make for a happy family. And I, I think that really became the basis for us. And that, you know, that became something that we could use as our talking point. How much will this add to our happy family? How will this, uh, th- how will this bear fruit in terms of the happiness of our relationship, of each of us in, in individually, and then of the children that we have? So let's look back then. What were some of the things we wanted to spend our money on? Well, like you said, a home, right? And I love President Hinckley's quote where he says, of course you need a modest and comfortable home. I think he wasn't, you know, he wasn't saying uh, that that we shouldn't have some of those niceties because that's where you're going to spend all of your day, right? I remember having a student come to me and say, uh, "Oh boy, you know, when I when I get married, I'm going to travel the world. I don't want to have a home in any one city. I want to just be able to travel around and know these little places where I can go. And I want to marry somebody who wants to do the same thing." And I thought that's fine. But boy, you better make sure that she knows that up front, right? If you're not going to have a home, because eventually there's going to be that nesting desire. There's going to be a desire to say, I want to settle down. Well, we're going to travel the world, this student said, and and our children will travel with us. But at the same time, you're going to have to have that conversation of saying, okay, but what are our children going to do for friends? And is that going to be their desire as well, right? So this kind of develops as as you use this foundation, as you have a base, and then you say, is this accomplishing our goal of bringing the most happiness possible to our family? Do you have anything anything to add to that? Not really. The only thing is that 
I think as time goes by, you'll have to re-look at these goals too because like you were saying, now that our children are going to be out of the home, things could have changed and you might have a different way that you'll want to earn and spend your money because your life is completely different. You don't have young yeah. children. Your you life have... situation has changed. Exactly. Yeah, and that's that's something that you have to consider. And, and it's just good to keep an open mind about that because things will change. I mean, you might have it down as the husband's going to work the wife's going to raise the children, and the husband might lose his job and not be able to get one. The wife might have to go to work for a while. So you have to be able to kind of revisit some of it when situations change. Yeah, have some flexibility. That's really good. That's a great point. Um, I think the thing that you want to do, though, uh, so that so you can have some flexibility, is have a, a, a steady foundation. For us, it was what's going to bring the greatest amount of happiness to our family. And, you know, and we could have done other jobs and we could have both worked, but we kept saying, we want our kids to have a certain lifestyle. We want them to have a certain amount of time with us. And so, you know, and even the things that we spent our money on, we, we've got a comfortable home, you know, we, we paid off a home. We tried very hard to, we bought a very small home and we tried very hard to work second jobs and things to, to make ends meet and to maybe get that paid off so we could get into a little more comfortable home, right? And, and continue that way. But we didn't want it just to be about home. We could, I think if we had kept saying, let's just keep going for bigger and bigger homes, um, the, that would have been one idea. But we kept saying, we want to spend time with our kids. And we want a home where they want to be, but we also want to make some memories with them. And you know, we, I think people have been surprised how many vacations and how often we vacation. But for us, it's not getting away from something. It's getting together. You know, And vacations to us haven't represented getting away they've represented getting together and getting together with our kids and, and being out and be able to do some of those things that aren't possible when you're at home where there's too many distractions and things like that. It's important to build the memories along the way because all of a sudden you look and you go, they're all raised. Yeah, yeah. And you'd be very sad to go, we didn't spend money on that period of time because you cannot get it back. Yes. Okay, so I just wanted people to hear you know, these, these couples that are considering marriage, just to hear us talk it out a little bit. So this is exactly what we did. We, you know, we sat down, we talked about how we're going to make the money. That was very easy for us. We both came at it the same way. How we're going to spend the money was another story, right? It took some real hammering out and it continues to do that. But, but if you're willing to continue to talk about it as a couple, and you talk about it all throughout your marriage, are we still satisfied with how we're spending our money? Do we make, you know, we did this the other morning on a walk, right? Is it time for us to make some adjustments in how we spend our money? Because we've been so save, save, save and, and try to prepare for the future. Well, the future for us is now, right? We're, I, I'm approaching over the hill. You're way under the hill still. <laughs> I'm approaching over the hill, but, you know, and starting to say, hey, from 50 on, it may be a little less about save and more about, um, you know, wisely spending some of the things that we've prepared for, for these days. So there you have it. Have the same financial goals. If you're a couple that's considering, you know, making it a, a more permanent relationship, uh, getting engaged, or if you're if you're already engaged and getting married, strongly suggest that you spend some time saying how are we going to make the money and why, right? Until you until you can come to full agreement on that, and then how are we going to spend the money and why until you come to full agreement on that? And just maybe another idea about that edge is. You know, you may think, um, I've heard couples say, well, you're going to have to compromise. You spend some money on what he wants, and then you spend some money on what she wants. 
And we've never really found that to be the case, have we? The, the more in love we are and the more we care about each other, the more we find ourselves saying like David O. McKay, my heart's desire is to see her happy. So I'm wanting to spend money on things that I think she wants. And I see you do the same to me, right? I, I remember when you came to me and said, I think you should get a motorcycle so that you can be out riding with the boys. And I was like, whoa, you know, I, I, I kept thinking I'm going to wake up from this. But you knew that that would be something not only that would make me happy is to buy a dirt bike, but that it would build this relationship with the kids. And that was our number one financial goal was to make uh, make family, right? To build this family relationship using our money. So using money to build family relationships. And and you wanting that and me turning around saying, well, I, th- you know, here's some things that I think you should spend money on. And pretty soon it's it's not the compromise where you go, I get one and you get one. But it's where you're saying, hey, we should do this because it'd be good for you and your your spouse reciprocates. So, so there you go. Secret number one. And then we talked about secret two last time. Make as much as you ethically can within your allotted work time. We had a long conversation while I did in the microphone with that. Number three, pay your tithes and your offerings. Uh, there's, there's no better way to secure your financial and spiritual safety than that. And then number four, and this is where we left off. Use a budget and avoid debt. And then here's something we didn't talk about last time. Decide on the budget together and share budgeting responsibilities. Maybe you can tell people, um, how have we done our budget? What's, I mean, as much as you feel comfortable talking about, what's our system for budgeting? Well, you sit down and write down all of the expenses you have. And that includes like things like dates and um, the food budget just everything that you're going to spend that month and even extras because especially when you have a family there's always somebody needs new shoes somebody needs to pay this fee for this um sport or something so you've got to kind of include extras every month because extras come up but kind of write it all down and then of course you've got to look at what you make it's got to even out or Better yet, have some left over at the end of your budget. Um, so I, t- I talked last time about having a little ledger on maybe the left side. Here's all our income. You know, let's just throw out some imaginary number. Let's say $3,000 a month. And on the right side, here are all of our expenses. Um, if it's more than $3,000 a month, that's what we're talking about, about avoiding debt. You're going to have to maybe even relook at your budget and decide if there's some things that you can do without. I mean, I do that all the time. I go... Well, wait, we're spending this much on this streaming advi- uh, de- device and we don't even need it or we don't even use it, so let's get rid of it. I, I mean, just the last two years, I've gone back through insurance companies and gone, I can get a better deal, so I switch insurances. I mean, there's there's ways that you can play with a budget and still get what you need and want if you're willing to do the work to do it. To yeah, and they, it. people might be interested to know how we work our budget. So uh, every Saturday, what's our routine? We sit down and we go through um, expenses that we've had that week. We look at our credit cards because we put things on credit cards because you can get points for vacations. So we put a lot on credit cards that can go on credit cards and then we pay them off weekly or every other week just so we never pay the... um, Yeah, the interest on it. Yes, the interest on it. 
And we have done so much vacationing on credit card points, right? We have flown all over the country. We've stayed in Hawaii. We've done lots of things because that's how we've decided to, to buy it. But we pay them off every week, so we've never paid interest. So I come in for my side job, right? On a Saturday morning, we sit down at the computer. It's just the same routine every Saturday. We sit at the computer. You pull out your little notebook. Pull, I have a little notebook. I know that's the people out there are going to go, he steals his paper and pencil. <laughs> I pull out my little notebook. It's actually a pen and a pen, and we just look at it. And it only takes us 10 or 15 minutes to say, here's what we spent. Uh, we, we already agreed on what we were spending because we have the same goals. So it's not like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you bought that. It's more like, okay, here's how we, here's how we spent the money. And... And then we pay off the cards, and then we know where we are every single week. And so there really just isn't that much to argue about. Another thing I like that we do is that it says decide on the budget together and then share budgeting responsibilities. So in our because of the way our family runs, uh, we have all the money, all the paychecks direct deposited into a savings account. And my part of the budgeting is to kind of run the savings account and to keep enough money in there that we have some savings and, and to build up a savings. And then each month, because Angie runs our household, she comes and says, I need, let's say our $3,000 example, I need $2,800, you know, and it, because of the phones, because of this bill and this much gas, and I paid these, I need $2,800 for this month. So my job is then to take the $2,800 out of savings and put it into checking. And then because you're home and you're spending the money, you, you run the whole checkbook, right? I pay the bills, I do the <clears> shopping, <throat> and it's good to revisit that every week too, because... You could go to the store once and suddenly go, oh, I spent this much money. Well, that was my whole budget for the month. If you're looking at it weekly, you can also kind of go project yourself through the month and go, am I going to be okay through the whole month? So I wonder if people listening to this will start getting the idea of if you're frequently visiting it in little small, like five minute, like, okay, I'm just going to check this over, make sure it's all good. You find you, you save yourself a lot of headache. You don't get into trouble very often. Right, we learned this the hard way. We didn't look at our budget. We we weren't doing this every month. We weren't doing this early on. And one day, Angie came to me and said, "You know, in tears, I'm five hundred dollars off of what I thought we had." And I think it was probably that experience that had us going, "Well, wow, okay, we need to just look at this in shorter spurts, less time in between those, and so we can do that." So use a budget. Decide on it together. Say, "Hey, here's how much money we make. Here's how we're going to spend it." And then th there's no contention because you already know how you're going to spend your money. And hopefully you've built into that. And I told this story last time, Ange. Hopefully you've built into that some fun, right? That, hey, we've built a vacation fund. We have a little family fun fund, we call it. So that you go, we're not just talking about groceries when we're talking about budgeting, right? Make money your servant. And you want to have fun with that money. So not your master, right? Make money your servant, not your master. So build into your budget things that you want to do, things you want to buy, right? If it's a new Traeger grill, which I'm getting for Father's Day, I heard. Uh, if it's a new Traeger grill or if it's a new car or a vacation here or there, build those things into your budget instead of buying them on a whim. Uh, it's much better to, to build those into a budget. It probably helps to um, also have those written down, those long-term goals of maybe a car in this many years, because I think when you're out spending, when you have something that you're going, we're working towards this, it's easier to say, I'm willing to save because you already know what you want to purchase with it as well. So we know that the number one cause of divorce, or at least it's still one of the highest causes. I think, you know, in the last eight years, things have changed a little bit, but it probably is still number one, that it's, it's uh, arguing over finances. 
And if you did just these four keys, we've still got three to go, but if you did just these four keys, you would not get divorced over money, which would eliminate 90% of the possibility of even getting divorced, right? And if, if you were to say, we're going to really talk about having the same financial goals. And let's get, you know, let's make sure that this is part of our relationship is having the same financial goals. And and then make as much money as you can within your allotted time. And only work your allotted time. And then pay your tithes and offerings on that money. And then together decide how you're going to spend the rest of your money, right? Come up with a budget and then share the responsibilities of budgeting. Don't just put it in one or the other's hands and, and you get to wash your hands of it and say, well, you took care of the money. Share the responsibility, talk about it every week, and you have eliminated, you've basically eliminated all of the opportunities to fight over that. Let me just share a little quote from Elder Ashton. Again, this is from One for the Money. May I at this time, quote, sorry, quote, may I at this time hasten to emphasize the fact that these marriage tragedies are not caused simply by a lack of money, but rather by the mismanagement of personal finances. A prospective wife could well concern herself not with the amount her husband-to-be can earn in a month, but rather how he will manage the money that comes into his hands. Money management should take precedence over money productivity. A prospective husband who is engaged to a sweetheart who has everything would do well to take another look to see if she has money management sense. So basically saying this is something both of both parties should look at is how well can they manage their money. And, and we've seen this, right? We've seen lots of marriages, even these young marriages that have struggled because of this. Well, some I was going to talk about covetous, but maybe we'll just skip over and just talk about the church produced a little pamphlet called All is Safely Gathered In. Here's two ideas from them then, from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Keep a record of your expenditures. Of course you would do that. You know, if the, if the different nations would do what we're talking about. If the people had one financial goal in that nation, and if they would, right, if they would produce their money ethically, right, and and in love for other people, and then if they would share it in charity, which would be number three, and then if they would balance their budget, you can imagine how much nations would prosper if they do this. And it's the same with a family. So this is from All Safely Gathered In. Quote, keep a record of your expenditures. Record and review monthly income and expenses. Determine how to reduce what you spend for non-essentials. That's basically a budget. So what do you do, Ange, if you're looking at your budget and you say, oh, well, we make 3000 but we, we're going to spend 3500 this month. I think you already gave us one key, right? Well, yeah, you can review and see what things can be maybe dropped or even wait on some things until another month. I wish people really knew you well so that they could say, wow, Angie is the master of this. Uh, and this is true. And all of our kids would, would vouch for this. She's the master of saying, I could probably get that cheaper. Like, I think you've changed our car insurance three or four times in the, and a house insurance three or four times in the last 10 years. And each time continuing to get it down and get it down. Same coverage, but just getting it cheaper by going out and shopping for those. You know, there's another side. So you can always look for ways to spend less, right? Or, or we're going to eliminate this. What if you go, these $3,500 are things we actually need. Well, look for ways to increase your income. There's nothing wrong with looking for ways to make more money when your family needs it. Get a little side job. Have, have your kids do a paper route. Mow some lawns. You know, there's a lot of ways to make a little extra money. If you're saying, our family would really be blessed by this, by a couple hundred extra dollars, Find a way then for your family to make that extra money.
And I think there's nothing wrong with saying that. That's some good old-fashioned farmer sense, right? Was saying, if you need more money, go out and make more money. Let's get on to number five. Spend most on what matters most. And I did talk about this one a little bit. I talked about this one last time uh, about when Rachel gave the talk and said, you know, my parents let us, you know, they, they let us help decide and we all get in the same door of the Suburban. I actually pulled up a piece of her talk. Let me, let me read it to you. She said, sometimes to make your relationship accounts grow. So we had been talking about relationship accounts, Rachel and I from Stephen Covey. You have to spend some actual money. Our family loves to go on vacation together. My parents have frequently asked us if we would like to have a new car or go on vacation. You might notice my dad still drives a 1992 Ford Tempo and we all have to get in on the passenger side of our, of our Suburban because the other door is broken. Well, that, that's, you know, I think that's something that you go, what has mattered most to us? I also told the little story, Angela, last time about you were there at Education Week when I was talking finances and the woman said, that's a lot of money to spend on dates. And I just challenged her in front of the whole group and said, just tell me something more significant. What's more important than my relationship with my wife where I should put my money? I could have a newer car. I could have a nicer car. I could have a bigger home. But I think I'd rather have a better relationship than any one of those things. And so I spend most on what matters most. I was just thinking, wow, you've upgraded. Now you you drive a 1999. <laughs> yes, now I drive a 1999. <laughs> Woo! Man, I, I tell you. I always think I'm, you know, pretty hot stuff until I pull up to the light and a 16-year-old pulls up in a car that's 21 years newer than mine. So, fun. So, uh, okay, let's go on to number six. We just have two more. Buy quality. And this is right from Elder Ashton. Buy quality, buy it on sale or clearance and then take care of it. And I think that maybe some people have, have not learned that growing up or, or don't know that hey, there are times when these products are going to be a little more expensive. I think we've all seen the, the Elder Uchtdorf talk and the video that goes with it of the little kids who are given the marshmallow and told, you can eat this right now, or if you wait, we'll give you a second marshmallow. That's really true in fi family finances. I think we often show that we can't wait, where we impulse buy, right? Where you go, oh, I just want this right now. If you buy a TV in October... You're crazy. Because if you can wait till Black Friday, you can get that same TV for half the price. And and having that ability to say, I'm going to wait, or I'm going to buy something quality because I want it to last, or I know it's going to be on sale or it's going to be on clearance. Often, you know, we'll buy, we see people buy stuff and you think, if you had spent five minutes shopping, even online, you could have gotten the exact same thing for less. So essentially, when you do that, you just give someone your money for nothing. And so it's always wise to be a, a wise shopper. Do you remember President Nelson gave the talk about, he called it the parable of the shopper. And he was talking about marriage. But, but he said, you know, the wise shopper is the one who goes out and examines the materials and makes sure that it's what they want at the price they want. And of course, and then after you have something, take care of it because oh. it can last a lot longer by just, taking care of it. Yes, my mission president, Otto Samorin, he would come out. I, I, matter of fact, I did a little comedy routine for our mission at Christmas one time and I dressed up like him and wore a little pair of glasses and, and I came out because he would always do the same thing. If you came in and he had his shoes off and was polishing him, which he did frequently, more than once a day, he would say, elder or sister, 
do you know how old these shoes are? And they were always older than 20 years old. He's like, I bought these shoes in 1960. And he would tell you the history of the shoes and how he's taken care of them. And I was so grateful to have learned that from him. Because it wasn't that he bought shoes that were that were a million dollar shoe. He bought a quality shoe and then he really t- took care of it. He bought two pairs of them and he'd let them air out so that he wasn't constantly wearing a moist shoe and he would he would uh, polish them every time that he wore them. And he, he took that, maybe back then it was a 30 or $50 investment, and he stretched it out over so many years. And they still were the best looking shoes in the mission. They still were the best looking shoes. So buying it, buy quality, buy it on sale, buy it clearance, and then really take care of what you have. I have a little list here on our computer screen of all the crazy things we bought. Do you remember, Angie? I used to camp out every Black Friday. And Angie would bring me, I even had students one year. I was out laying there in front of the Best Buy in my sleeping bag at 3 o'clock in the morning. And a group of students all came to visit Institute students. They brought me hot chocolate and donuts and stuff. But that's where we bought our computer at one-third of the price. Uh, right after Black Friday, it was again, it was again, I think, the computer was $700 and I got it for 200 and something. And right after it was back to 700, and a lot of people bought it for the 700. But if you're willing to to you know do some shopping, our home TV was a Walmart Black Friday. The downstairs couch, right? Somebody had just returned because they couldn't fit it down their downstairs, and so they were bringing it back because they couldn't get it around the turn of their downstairs. And RC Willie was going to put it back out on the floor at a discount, and we snatched it up. I think it was 50% off, if I remember right. And the person had stain guarded it, right? Mm-hmm. And our leather couch in the front room, which we bought from the home show, and then we sold uh, and still made money off of that thing after 10 years of having it. Well, let's get to our last one. Save money for when the unusual happens. Do you have anything to say about that right off the bat? I mean, why did you remember creating this lesson? We were going to say save money for if, and then we decided to choose it to for when. The unusual happens. But the unusual always happens. Yeah, it's not even unusual for it to happen, <laughs> right? For us anymore. That there is something really peaceful about saving. There's a peace of mind that comes when you say, we we are prepared for the unusual and even for disasters. We've secured some insurance and we have some in a bank account. And, and you have your food supply. And you have your food storage, right? And a food storage that you can actually use. We, When we moved into the house where we're actually recording this right now, when we moved into this house, uh, uh, the Institute Choir came to help us move. Do you remember that? Mm-hmm. And we decided we were going to have three months of things that we actually ate. And we had six kids living at home at the time. And we ate cereal every day. And so we had bought 100 boxes of cereal over the course of a time. We, we were just rotating them out. We'd buy four or five boxes every month and eat four or five. Well, it was probably every week at that point. Huh? And I remember the kids walking in, these institute kids walking in and opening up our food storage and going, this is like a grocery store for cereal. You've got 100 boxes. We always tried to keep that number. And we had a, a couple hundred cans of soup and we had all of that stuff that we thought, these are things that our kids would actually eat. So save money and prepare for a rainy day, right? Save money for when the unusual happens. So what are some effective ways to save? plan to save. If you put in your budget, um, you know, let's say, let's go back to our $3,000 example. If you put in your budget, oh, uh, we're going to save $100 a month and you make that a budget item, then it's not you saying, oh, we, we just never have any money. It's you saying, we're going to put a budget item in that's saving money or even if it's $25 a month. Oh, it adds up. Yeah, I it, mean, if you wait a couple of months and all of a sudden you go, wow, that that's really accumulated. Yeah. 
And so plan to save and then save regularly. Not just we'll save every time we get a little extra as opposed to saying, let's save regularly. Let's make a schedule. Let's take a little bit out of each paycheck or every bonus let's take. And then commit only to use save money for its intended purposes like emergencies. I remember hearing a, a talk in, in one of our state conferences, you know, I, you're, you're already smiling, where this woman stood up and said, my family did food storage for all these years. And then we decided we would live on our food storage for a year. We're like, wow, you know, wonder what had happened. She said, we lived on our food storage for a year. And with the money we saved in food, we all went to Disneyland. <laughs> I thought, wow, I'm not sure that was the intent, but it was great. Um, you know, they, they had practiced and, and now they had no food storage, but they had had this great vacation. So, so maybe there's a good policy there. Commit only to use because you may have money set aside for emergencies and then you go, oh, but we really just want to, you know, we want to upgrade our couch or whatever. But if you'll commit to use it only for emergencies and keep it there, the thing you get is peace of mind. People would say, why do you have money in the bank? Well, because it is buying me something. It's buying me peace of mind to know that my, my family is safe and protected. And then when you make more, save more. As your finances increase, then save more money. So let's close with this. I just had a couple of quotes that I thought people might like. Um, that would maybe give them some more insights into finances. Let's start with, uh, this, is, this is from a talk by Joseph B. Worthland, April 2004. And he just, he's talking about finances. It's called Earthly Debts, Heavenly Debts. And he just gives these four or five pieces from different prophets. Here's the first one. The counsel from other inspired prophets in our time on this subject is clear. And what was true 50 or 150 years ago is also true today. President Heber J. Grant said, From my earliest recollections, the, from the days of Brigham Young until now, I have listened to men standing in that pulpit, urging the people not to run into debt. And I believe that the great majority of all of our troubles today is caused through the fa failure to carry out that counsel. Well, we, we still hear it today, right? Here's another one from President Ezra Taft Benson. Do not leave yourself or your family unprotected against financial storms. Build up savings. End of quote. I love, that's probably my favorite, my favorite quote of this whole uh, episode, is that what you do when you build up a savings and when you avoid debt and when you have the same financial goals, what you're doing is you're protecting your marriage, you're blessing your marriage, you're protecting your family. You're blessing your family. If you look at it that way, you go, wow, there really is nothing that's just temporal. I'm going to read that one more time. Do not leave yourself or your family unprotected against financial storms. Because even the driest places, storms come, right? Build up a savings. And then President Harold B. Lee taught, Not only should we teach men to get out of debt, men and women, but we should teach them likewise to stay out of debt. And then finally this one by President Gordon B. Hinckley. Many of our people are living on the very edge of their incomes. In fact, some are living on borrowings. I urge you to be modest in your expenditures. Discipline yourselves in your purchases to avoid debt to the extent possible. Pay off debt as quickly as you can and free yourselves from bondage. Back to Elder Worthland. My brothers and sisters, many have heeded this prophetic counsel, these five or six that we read. They live within their means. Right? They've done all these things we've talked about. They honor the debts they have incurred, and they strive to reduce, reduce the burden they owe to others. We congratulate those who are doing so, for the day will come when they will reap the blessings of their efforts and understand the value of this inspired counsel. To wrap it up, 
I'm just going to recap these. Is that okay? Yes. So let's go to number one. Have the same financial goals. I know I've talked about this in both of these episodes uh, numerous times. I don't think there's anything more more significant than that. That you can eliminate a, a huge portion of the divorce in the world if that couple would come at having the same financial goals. Especially if they're built on love in your relationship and you want to see them happy and have the things they want. That's number one. Number two, make as much as you ethically can within your allotted work time. Become the most valuable employee. Whatever you decide to do, become the best at that. Strive to become your best in whatever you're doing to make your your finances. Number three, pay your tithes and offerings. There's no greater investment. Like the Lord said, prove me now herewith if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be enough room enough to receive it. Number four, use a budget and avoid debt. Decide on the budget together and then share those budgeting responsibilities. Don't try to dish it off to one or the other. You just take care of the money because you've got that kind of... Do you remember, maybe I should have said this before, but do you remember I had just come out of being a stockbroker and we bought our, we were about to buy our first little house and I thought, you know, if something happens to me, this is kind of the world I've been living in, right? I've been living in the financial world. I know how to do this. But I started thinking about if something happens to me, you didn't have the first idea how to do those things. So we decided together that you would do all of that purchasing of the home. And then you would teach me what you had done and then we would sign the papers together. And, you know, uh, amazingly, we got the first home, but it was like, this will make people choke these days. I think it was a 9%, 9% interest. Okay, okay well, it was a bad time. Yeah, these were bad times uh, or different times, right? It was a 9% interest on our home. And I think within two months you were saying to me, oh my goodness, I could get that lower. And so at the end of our one-year mark, you came back and said, ah, I've lowered our interest point by several points. I've done a no-cost refinance. And then you sold our home on your own. And then you bought next home, right? And all this was was you coming to me and saying, here's the loan I think I can get. What do you think we ought to do? And then we would talk about it. And then you bought this home, right? You did all the loan. I've done six loans now. Six loans now. And, and now this is the thing that you go, wow, you've done a rental home. This is something you're excellent at. You could have easily said, Ryan, this is what you've been doing for a living is finances, but you wanted to be fully engaged and do your part. And so you, you kind of took that over. So share budgeting responsibilities. Then number five, spend most on what matters most. And you're going to find that out by talking together, right? By talking together. Number six, buy quality on sale or clearance and then take care of it, right? And that's going to take some patience and some shopping. And then last but not least, save money for when the unusual happens. If you do that, you're going to find a lot more marital bliss, right? You're going you're gonna to argue so much less. I can't tell you how many students I've had come in and say, my parents fought all the time. And when I say, what did they fight about? Almost always, they come up with money. What did they fight about? Oh, my dad bought something. My mom said, my mom was spending money that, oh, you know, they couldn't agree on how to do this. Or my dad wanted this and my mom wanted that. And you go, it's still, even among members of, of Christ's church and, and good Christians and people of faith and, and people who are moral, it doesn't matter. If you don't follow some of these principles that we've learned from the prophets, right? If you're not on the same page, you're going to end up fighting about finances. So we highly recommend that. Do you have anything else to say, babe? No. No. So follow these seven steps that we've been out, right? That have been outlined for us by the prophets of God. And you will build a marriage and a family that are financially secure. 
We'll see you next time for the next episode. Hopefully, Kayla will add some of her brilliance to this one. Thanks, Angie, for joining me. Thank you again so much, Ryan and Angie, for uh, your words of wisdom, especially in the area of um, being frugal and making sure that you're spending your money where where you and your spouse want to spend money. Something I actually really want to talk about, just touch on really quick, is having the um, like an emergency fund, so that emergency savings. I love what um, Ryan and Angie said about it's not if an emergency pops up, it's more when. Um, so not very many of you folks out there in podcasts, I know this, but um, as, as part of my schooling experience, I get to be a financial coach through the Money Management Resource Center on UVU campus. And so one of our areas of expertise, I guess you could say, is we talk to a lot of students about creating a spending plan, creating budgets, talking about student loans and debt. And one of the things we talk about with people in their spending plan, like sessions, is making sure that they have money set aside for um, emergencies, so creating an emergency fund. And it comes recommended to have anywhere between three to six months worth of your living expenses saved away into an account that you can draw on if needed. Um, as a college student, that could look anywhere between, you know, 500 bucks and um, like 1500 bucks, just because I mean, you're not, you don't have much expenses, especially if you're single. Um, but especially if you're married and you have kids on the way or you already have kids, what what if the main provider of your family suddenly is out of work or is laid off from their job or scrambles because they, um, they're in transition between two jobs? That's where an emergency fund can kick in. Or say, for example, your, your car broke down or all of a sudden you have medical bills to pay. Um, an emergency fund can replace the income that you were previously having. And so it does come recommended by um, a lot of financial planners or advisors or counselors to save up three months worth of um, expenses. So that would include like housing expenses, car payments, phone bills, um, the fun expense that you're going to have, groceries, gas. Make sure you have all of that saved up so that you could draw on it for three to six months. Now, obviously, the older you get, a little bit more um, is required. But for college students just starting out, if you could put away, you know, 50 bucks a month, if that's a possibility for you, anything you can put away into an emergency fund is going to save you so much heartache and so much stress in the future. So that's, that's a good rule of thumb that I would, that I would just plug in right there is if you have anywhere between, you know, three and six months worth of income saved up, you'll be looking really good when, you know, an emergency accidentally, you know, occurs in your life, you have money to draw on. And then when things are starting to settle down in your family, then again, start and put money back into your emergency fund. And once it hits the, the, the threshold of what you need, you can stop, you can let that fund be, and then you can move on to like investment funds or whatever else you're paying for. But have that reserve because it's better safe than sorry to have more rather than less so that when an emergency does pop up in your life, um, you're not you're not scrambling around trying to make ends meet um, at the last minute. So I love what Angie and, um, and Ryan talked about in today's episode about just saving money uh, for unexpected times because they're for sure 
on their way, <laughs> no doubt. Um, but it's being prepared for them when they happen rather than if they happen. So love what they had to say today. Um, thank you so much for tuning in to yet again, another brilliant podcast episode by uh, Ryan Eggett. And we can't wait to be with you again next week. Tune in again next Tuesday for um, another episode release. And we hope you have a great week. Have a good one. Bye now.